that our God is the one who's broken the chains. He's the one who set us free and that there will be a day where every knee will bow before him. Thank you. Our Bible reading this morning is going to come from the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Going to read to you from verses 1 to 17, which is the passage we will look at this morning, but we'll have an emphasis upon the last three verses. Not only, but that's where most, well, the key part will come. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in a place called Colossae that he hasn't personally visited, though he knows some of the people who are there, some of the people who started the church. He's heard of some of their difficulties. False teachers have come in and are threatening not only to divide the church, but to lead the church off in a direction of keeping particularly Jewish and or other uh, rituals uh, for the purposes of um, their own salvation. And so in, in that sense, it's a denial of the gospel. Paul writes to them and encourages them to stay true to the gospel, that Jesus is the only one who can deliver us from sin. And we are a people, the believers of Colossae, like we are, are now following Jesus. And there are changes which will come into our life. And that's where the Apostle Paul is up to in his argument with Colossians chapter 3. He now talks about what does it like for us to live as members of a new kingdom, a new community. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since of members of one body you were called to peace, and to be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom 
through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word to us today. And the Apostle Paul from that passage goes on to talk about husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, masters, And then he talks even about our relationship with outsiders. So these first 17 verses, chapter 3, is a foundation of how we are now to live as followers of the Lord Jesus in this fallen world. And it overflows and impacts all of our relationships, particularly home life, family life, wives, husbands, parents, children, even masters and slaves as in the household context. But then it overflows into our attitude and relationship with those who are outside the kingdom. Let's pray and ask God to guide us. Thank you, Lord, again for your word, and we pray that you would help us now by your Holy Spirit, firstly to understand what your word says, and then, Lord, to also understand what it means for us, its implications and its applications for our living, so that we can be disciples of Jesus, living in his new kingdom, following him and becoming more like him. Speak to us and teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Back in the 1990s, there was some research done of people who had been having faith lifts over various decades before that. And the results of that research showed that people who had a facelift or some sort of plastic surgery to remove some sort of physical uh, deformity or something that they weren't particularly happy with, that people fell into one of two categories. The people who had the operations, successful operations, had their blemish to remove or something righted, nose, whatever, shortened or whatever, you know. The first group of people were quite happy with it and it changed their behaviour. Instead of becoming so introverted and so self-conscious and so aware, they became far more outward, far more confident. It transformed their life and their social interaction. Second group didn't make any difference at all. Though the operation had been successful, though the deformity had been removed, though whatever it was had been successfully operated on, these people still operated under the belief or the idea, I still have something wrong with me. And it led to no change in conduct, no change in confidence, no change at all. What do we learn from that? The people who did not accept the truth of the change in their situation remained in the state where they were, and the people who did accept the truth of their change in their situation were transformed by it. That's exactly the truth Paul is talking about here. Once, all of us belonged to the kingdom of Satan, the old life that we live, our self-life. Everybody born into this world is born in sin. And we either, growing up in this world, are either religious or we're not religious. And even if we're religious before we become followers of the Lord Jesus, you could be religious because your parents made you go to church. Just for curiosity, how many here come from Christian homes or something like that and you've been going to church all your life? Hands up. Whoa. A lot of you, hands down. What about, now let's just check the room. What about those of you who brought up in a home where your parents probably weren't Christian and you didn't go to church when you were a kid or a teenager and you only started after you became a follower of Jesus? That would be me. Oh, it's about a third, two thirds, one third. Significant. 
Even if you're following uh, your parents to church, you're a religious person, before you become a, a true follower of Jesus, you could be a religious person being devout in order to be saved, or you were being a religious person because it was on show, or you went because your parents made you go. The irreligious people would fall into sort of subcategories as well. They weren't religious, they didn't go to church, they didn't do any of those sorts of things. And they either did their own thing, fulfilled their own desires, and they didn't give a rip about anybody else. They did what they wanted to do. There's some people like that. But most people that I knew growing up who were not religious were nonetheless people who fulfilled their own sinful desires and did their own thing, but they did it without, with a view to not hurting anybody else. They obeyed the law. They stayed within the bounds of society. They were good, decent people outwardly. But all of us are sinners. We're all fallen short of the standard. Religion doesn't save us. Living by our own morals doesn't save us. But now, in coming to Jesus, we have been transferred from that kingdom into his kingdom. We've crossed the line. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. You've been transferred from the kingdom of Satan, kingdom of self, to the kingdom of Jesus, to the kingdom of God's Son where he now rules, where he is Lord, where we now obey him. And this passage tells us how we are to live in that world. Of course, that world is a subset, if you like, of this world. We still have a sinful body. We still have sinners around us. Just look left, look right. Those people are sinners, just like you. None of us are perfect. We all have struggles. We all have weaknesses. We all have faults. We are in the process of being transformed. But perhaps your family and or work colleagues, they may not be followers of Jesus. And so there is always this sinful influence around us. We all have temptations daily. Sometimes we give in to them, sometimes we don't. So how are we to live for Jesus in this world, given this context? We are not to isolate ourselves from the world. That has been a response of sometimes throughout the centuries of the Christian church, monasteries and so on. You withdraw from the world. You won't be contaminated by it. But the sin is in here. You take it with you wherever you go. Other people think what we need to do is assimilate, to dumb down the standards a little bit and become like them, to love them, but to be like them so that we can present Jesus to them. We compromise. Church has done that throughout the centuries as well. Now, the New Testament balance is we don't isolate ourselves from, nor do we assimilate with. We are with and amongst the world, the people who don't know Jesus yet, but we are different to them. We're not better than them. We've just been made different because we've been forgiven, transformed, and we're to live consistently with that. Well, how do we do that? Paul says in this passage, he says, verse 1, So then, you have been raised with Christ, transferred kingdoms. Now, set your heart on things above where Christ is, set at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things above. That's the first thing to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Think. It all begins in the mind. Where does sin begin? In the mind. Where does righteousness begin? In the mind. Think about those things. Before you commit a sin, you'll be thinking about a sin. Before you choose a righteous thing, you'll be thinking about it. So set your mind. It's a battle of the mind. Set your mind on things above, on the truths of who Jesus is, 
and of what he wants for us. And that's something for us to do every day and on a continual basis. Of course, the danger has always been that for some people, when they set their mind on things above, that they can become so heavenly minded that they are of... Alternatively, there are people who are so worthly minded they are of no heavenly use. The balance is, set your mind on things above so that you can be of earthly use. Set your mind on things above so that Jesus can live in you and work through you in this world where he has intentionally placed you. He wants you to serve him. Paul goes on to say, verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. You died. When you transferred from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of Jesus, you died. Not physically and not literally, but spiritually. You died to your old self. Do you feel dead to sin? I felt faint once about it. Not dead. Sin is very much alive in us, isn't it? And you see, here is the point. Our identity is what God says it is, not what we feel it is. If God says we died to sin, then we are dead to sin. But I don't feel like it. That's not reality. God says you died to sin. Now, death does not mean the eradication of sin. Death means separation. You died to sin. You have been separated, if you follow Jesus, from sin, from this sinful force which is in us. It's been separated, not removed, not eradicated. It's still there, but it's weakened. One day it will be removed, but not yet. It's still there. And now as the old Indian told a missionary, I love this illustration. I, for me, it says it so clearly. The old Indian chief once said, I have living within me, Two dogs, a black dog and a white dog, a bad one and a good one. And the missionary said, which dog dominates? And he said, depends which one I feed. Get it? Feed your sinful nature, give in to sin, indulge sin, give in to temptation. Your sinful nature, you're resurrecting it, you're empowering it, it's graining in power. And you commit that sin, it's a bit like dominoes. Once you start, it becomes, you do it again, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And then you come to the point where God will work in your life and bring you to conviction, you'll repent, you'll get rid of that and you'll start again. But if you don't, you see, it starts here in the mind. When you start thinking sinful things, that's, that's where you stop it, there in the mind. Don't think about it. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's how we are to live in this new kingdom that Jesus has given us. When I say to you that death is not the eradication of our sin nature, it's the separation. I've told you this before. I'll probably tell you again. We have been separated from sin's penalty, 100%. If we're a follower of the Lord Jesus, we are forgiven for all of our sins. We are separated from sin's penalty, paid in full. We have been separated from sin's power, Sin no longer has a power that it once had in us. It's been broken. You died to it. You've been separated from it. doesn't feel like it. The spiritual reality, it's happened. Now you've got to live it out. And in living it out, you will find that it is true. 
And we've also one day will be separated from sin's presence, from sin's penalty, from sin's power and from sin's presence. We won't be separated from sin's presence, of course, until the Lord Jesus himself comes and we get new bodies, resurrected bodies. Then there is no more sin in the kingdom. So we're talking about that middle level, sin's power. We are in the process and each day we have to make choices. And when we are tempted, we can say no. We have the ability to say no because we've been separated from the power of sin. Now when we sin, we do so because we've been tricked, deceived. We're listening to the evil one. Verses 5 to 8, the Apostle Paul goes on to expand this truth. Put to death, therefore. His language is very strong. He's saying, kill off your body parts that cause you to sin. He doesn't mean that literally. But he does mean be radical in your attitude towards sin. We do the same thing. It's called in uh, metonymy. You use one part of your body to describe the particular sin that you're involved with. One day, Kate will say to Marnie, don't give me any of your lip. She can't talk yet, so you can't say it yet. Don't give me any of your lip, by which we mean, we don't mean the lips, but we mean that which the lips is doing, which is speaking inappropriately. So we do the same thing in our language and culture. We use various body parts to describe the particular inappropriate behaviours we're doing. That's what Paul does here. Put to death those parts of you that are earthly, which are causing you to sin. What did Jesus say? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Does he mean that literally? No. He's doing exactly the same thing. Be radical. It's difficult. It's painful. But there's blessing in it. That's what he's saying. Put to death what is sinful in you. And he goes on to repeat that in verse 5. Put to death. In verse 8, put it away. Rid yourself of it. In verse 9, you've taken off the old practices. It's all about... Living in this new kingdom is being done with the way you used to live. I won't do that anymore. I'm being changed. I'm not there yet, but I'm in process. As you follow Jesus. Verses 9 to 10, he does the opposite. Instead of putting off the negative, the sin, it's put on the attributes, the virtues, the qualities that reflect the Lord Jesus. Verse 10, put on. Verse 12, clothe yourselves. Put on love in verse 14. That's this. Say no to sin. Say yes to righteousness. And it all starts in the mind. Set your minds on things above. It's a process, not instant. Then there is a beautiful thing that Paul does, quite radical in the first century in verse 11. As we do this, This is not done, it is done personally and individually, but it's also done corporately. So as we put off the old ways and put on the new ways, that the church becomes transformed. Verse 11, Um, here in the church, there is no Jew and Gentile. There is no Australian and Chinese. There is no this and that group. There is no circumcision and uncircumcision, the religious ones and the irreligious ones. There's no um, barbarian or Scythian, no slave, no free, no cultural differences, no social differences, no um, academic intellectual differences, no religious differences. 
we're all one in Jesus. Of course, there are differences, but we don't let the differences make the distinctions that the world does. We're to be different to the world. That in the church of Jesus, everybody's welcome. Look at the 12 apostles that Jesus picked intentionally. He prayed the night before and he said, I'll have you, I'll have you, I'll have you, I'll have you, I'll have Matthew, who is a tax collector, a traitor, sold out his people for financial means to get taxes for the Romans. I'll have him, I'll have him, and I'll have Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot is a passionate uh, Jewish person who wanted to fight for the safety and the removal of the Romans from the land of Israel and Judah. So he was like a terrorist. He was a murderer. That's what the zealots were. They were prepared to fight to the death to get rid of the Romans. And Jesus says, I'll have the tax collector and I'll have the zealot in the same group. They would have hated each other outside of that. But in Jesus, they become one. So too for us. That's the goal, that's the aim. That's what God's doing. So when the world out there comes into a church in here and looks around and sees all different sorts of really funny looking people, the world ought to be scratching its head of saying, how come you people get on? What's happened for that? And of course, it's the gospel of Jesus. Now you can see how the evil one works when the church doesn't get on, when there are differences, when worldly distinctions are brought in and we make distinctions on that basis, then the world says, you're no different to us. That's a satanic strategy. That's his intention, to undermine the work of the gospel. So there's a wonderful picture of the church in verse 11. I need to move on. Verse 12 to 14, the Apostle Paul then says, here is a series of commands, instructions, they're commands in the Greek text, of what we are to put on. And before I tell you, read them to you, let me say these two things to you. Firstly, the list is in verse 12 and following. Firstly, putting on these things does not change our personalities. Whether we are a driven person or a laid-back person, whether we're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you're people-oriented or task-oriented, whether you're a thinking person or a feeling person, whether you're rational or whether you're an intuitive, that doesn't change. When you put on these qualities, these virtues, as you work these things through in your life, as God works in you, then you become, secondly, more like the Lord Jesus with your personality. Because all of these qualities that Paul outlines for us are a reflection of the Lord Jesus. This is what he modelled for us. And as we put these on, as we develop these attributes in our lives, then we become more like him. Set your mind on things above. How do you do that? Well, develop these qualities in you and you become more like the Lord Jesus as you live for him in this new kingdom. What are these qualities? God wants all of us to have a heart of compassion. That's a feeling. A heart of compassion. It is an attitude, but it's also a feeling. I'm not going to do this for all of them, but I did want to say this. If you don't have compassion, or you feel you don't have compassion for others, it's because you're not focused on them, you're focused on yourself. 
the Lord Jesus took his disciples across the lake, got to the other side, and when he saw them, he saw that like they were people without sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion for them. Something you feel to care for others. <clears throat> the disciples said, Send them away. We want to have something to eat and we want to rest. The disciples didn't have compassion. Why? Because they were focused upon themselves. They were focused upon their own needs, what they needed to do. When you focus on others, compassion will develop in you as you feel for and care for other people. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in our relationships with one another. These are the qualities of the Lord Jesus. How do we do that? Well, Paul goes on to tell you, verse 13, by bearing with one another and by forgiving one another. By bearing with, putting up with, tolerating idiosyncrasies and differences and faults. In all of the grey areas of life, he's not talking about sin and he's not talking particularly about false teaching. We're not to bear and put up with that. We are to remove that. We're to confront sin. But when it's not sin, when it's not false teaching, then we are to be patient and tolerant and kind and gracious and welcoming, not sour and bitter and resentful. Not thinking we are better than anybody else. Not demanding our own way. We're to do just what the Lord did for us. That's what Paul says. And over all these things, he says, put on the overcoat of love. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying, here is a new set of clothes. Take off your old sinful rags and put on the clothes of compassion and patience and kindness and gentleness and humility. Put those clothes on and wear those clothes every day, in every situation wherever you go, not just in church, but wherever you go, on the road, when you're shopping, at work, at home, patience. And when you become impatient because the little baby wakes up at 4.30 in the morning and you've had enough and you're sleep deprived and you can't handle it anymore and you lose patience, well, then you repent and you apologise and you get right with God again. It's not about us pulling up our bootstraps and just trying to be better. It's about relying on the life of Jesus in us, as he will go on to explain. The Apostle Paul says these three things to us, and this is what really captured me. Marg's not here this morning, is she? Marg Buttle? Oh, good. She was at a Chinese service. She heard this last week. So she's not missing. She was gratefully and wonderfully serving the... Uh, Chinese congregation by playing music for them. Note verse 15, 16 and 17. Verse 15, how do we do all of this? Number one, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I'm going to have to speed through this. I won't be able to give it the time I really should have given to it. To have the peace of God rule in your heart, the peace of Jesus rule in your heart, then firstly you have to have the peace of Jesus. You get the peace of Jesus by transferring kingdoms, by becoming a follower, by becoming a Christian. Once you do that, 
then it's an automatic fruit, it's an automatic gift of the Lord Jesus to all of his followers. Let the peace of Christ rule, be boss, make the decisions, guide you and direct you. Let it be the umpire of a decision. You've got to make a decision. And if I, if I think I'm going to do that, I feel at peace. And if I start thinking I should do that, I feel not at peace. I feel a little anxious or worried about it then go in the direction of peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's one of the ways that he guides us. And it's certainly the way that he wants us to live. In John 14, verse 27, the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's promised to us. We have peace with God through knowing Jesus. We can have the peace of God ruling in our hearts, letting that happen by us walking in obedience, by being patient and kind and gentle and doing all of those things that the Apostle Paul has just said that will lead to the peace of Christ in our hearts. We'll be at peace with him and he will be directing us. So let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. If we sin, then we lose the peace of Christ confess, repent, the peace of Christ returns. Number two, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is all that Jesus taught. That's his revelation now included for us in what we call the Bible, the scriptures. It's called the word of Christ. The only time in the Bible that's New Testament it's ever called that. It's always usually called the word of God or the scriptures. It's called the Word of Christ because it's what he taught. It directs us to him and it's about him. It's the Word of Christ dwelling in us. To dwell in is to live in. I live in a house. You don't live in my house. If you came to my house to visit me and then I take you through my house and I show you where the bedrooms are and the lounge room is and the office is, yada, 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 where all of this is. You've had a tour of my house, but you don't dwell there. I dwell there. So let the word of Christ dwell in you. Be at home in you and you in it. To be familiar with, to be comfortable in, to be a refuge. Let the word of Christ permeate your life. Which means, of course, then we have to be people of the book. To read it, to hear it, to know it, to obey it. As we teach and admonish one another, as Paul says there. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Number three, verse 17, let the name of Christ influence all we say and do. Let the name of Christ influence, impact, direct us in how we speak and what we do, how we behave. The name of Christ. We are his representatives. She's not here right now. I think she's in the cry room. But there's a very attractive lady. She's about that tall. Somewhere around there. That tall. And her name is Mrs. Evans. She took my name because she identifies with me. So when we take his name, we identify with him. But the name of Jesus is not just identification, it's also authority. If I take a cheque and I sign the cheque, I have authorised that bit of paper. I think you'll find that's legal tender. It's authorised, our name. So the name of Jesus is the authority under which we live in his kingdom. 
live in submission to his rulership in every area of life, and it's let his name, our identification with him and his authority over us, influence how we speak and what we do. How do we know what he wants us to do? Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. How do I know if I'm understanding it and doing it right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. These things impact one another and influence one another. And you may or may not have noticed it, but all the way through verse 15, verse 16 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul cycles around to the same statement and be thankful. We're going to finish with this and be thankful. Verse 15, be thankful. When there is peace in the heart, there will be thanks on the lips. Verse 16, be thankful from your heart, from your mind, sincerely, genuinely. It's interesting, God always looks on the heart, not just on the outward appearance or the outward performance of things. And verse 17, give thanks to God the Father through the Lord Jesus. Be thankful, feel thankful, give thanks to the Father in all of these circumstances. How do we live in the new kingdom? Set your mind on things above. Say no to sin. Say yes to righteousness. It all begins here in the mind. Put on the clothes of the Lord Jesus, of patience and kindness, of humility, of gentleness, of compassion, caring for one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another if you have a complaint against somebody. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And let the name of Christ influence and direct all we say and do. That's how we are to live in God's new kingdom with an attitude of thankfulness. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. There's a lot in it. I pray that you would help us to continue to process what we've heard, to continue to examine this scripture and to examine our lives in the light of it. Lord, thank you for transferring us into the, your new kingdom. Help us to set our minds on things above. Say no to sin, yes to righteousness, and yes to letting the peace of Jesus, the word of Jesus, and the name of Jesus to influence and impact our lives for his honour and glory. Amen.